Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Sophia, and welcome to another episode of Sex in the Bull City. I am so excited to have my client, Rob, back with me today, and we're going to talk about something that we think is really interesting. We actually have been talking about it for the past few minutes, and then I finally was like, we just got to turn on the recording so we could just continue this conversation. But today we're going to talk about uh, differences between sobriety and recovery, and also, you know, just lots of shoot off questions that that come from that conversation. So um, we're going to get started with that. And I'm just really happy that y'all are joining us today. Thank you so much. And We've been in COVID for a couple of years, and I'm slowly getting back in the groove of, of recording these podcasts, which I really enjoy. So please listen and enjoy. But also, I'd love it if you could share with other people, because I'd really like to increase our listenership. Um, I think we have a lot of important things to say here at Bull City, and we're going to be talking about um, lots of many more issues on, on this podcast upcoming. I've got some really great people to do podcasts with, so please share. And um, anyway, thanks again for being with us. And Rob, thank you again for being here. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it, the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, this is an important topic. And so um, I just really want to start start with you again and just say how impressed I am that you are willing to be here and, and willing to share and be vulnerable. And I know that we're using um, a name that is it is clearly not your own, and, and that's okay. Um, that's that's as it should be. But regardless, other you know, even if you know whatever, it's still just you know I think really really amazing and really powerful for you to be doing this with me. And um, you know, it's for me as a therapist and woman in recovery, it really speaks to your recovery that this is something that, that you're excited to do. Because when we have recovery, we do want to share it with other people. So, um, yeah, how do you want to want to get started today? Um, yeah, I want to thank you so much for, again, for the opportunity to come back. Um, I definitely view this as a uh, step in my own personal recovery. Uh, step 12 does talk about reaching out and spreading recovery to other folks. Um, I'm currently working on step 11 in my own program. So this, uh, I think, fits very nicely into, mm-hmm. into that part of my recovery. And uh, I think we have, uh, during our SAA meetings, we have a lot of interesting conversations during open discussion. Uh, it's like several of our, our meetings uh, have periods where there are you know fairly long periods of open discussion where uh, a member of the group will pose a question and uh, we kind of mull it around and we kind of talk about it. Uh, and in this particular case, a uh, question was posed, uh, when in my recovery or at what step in my recovery should I expect long-term or, or consistent sobriety. And it's a really easy question to state. And then as I started thinking about it, and I think as the group started thinking about it, it's a really difficult question to start to unpack. Um, and part of it was, uh, what does recovery look like for me? What does sobriety look like for me? Uh, and when did that start happening for me? Yeah. And, 
Uh, kind of the first part of it is that you've really had to think about what the sort of what the difference between sobriety and recovery is. Yeah. And I've sort of come to the conclusion that uh, sobriety is definitely it's it's the thing that I can measure. So. Uh, typically in an SAA program, uh, sobriety is self-defined. So unlike you know uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or other twelve-step groups, where uh, sobriety is defined by not taking a drink, it's not. Uh, well, I had beer today and no liquor. So uh, in in SAA, sobriety is very much defined by the person in recovery, and. Uh, it's really important to early on, I think, work with a sponsor or work with a group of sponsors to develop a definition of sobriety that is works. Mm-hmm. Um, that means being very specific about behaviors. Um, so uh, including things like absolutely no pornography, no mm-hmm. items like pornography, uh, you know, said no sex outside of a committed monogamous relationship. If that's the case, right. uh, there are some people that define sobriety uh, as no masturbation during a or in a committed relationship. Right. Uh, these are all really important things, and for, and the more specific the the sobriety definition, the more likely this is going to go better. Right. Um, it does require a significant amount of self reflection and honesty about. Yeah. Uh, my acting out behavior, and I've I've had to modify and adjust my bottom line behaviors as yeah. as it goes, uh, including some things that I've added recently, which uh, uh, is no seeking affirmation or or validation from other mm-hmm. sources. Uh, that's uh, not strictly a sexual sobriety for me, but it's what when I'm seeking a definition of self from others that is a breach of sobriety for me yeah um and that's really more in line with what i call codependency is when we're you know we're not affirmed within our own sense of self and so we're we're obsessively seeking um that validation from outside sources i can we just back up just a, a smidge um i totally agree with um in you know in SAA SLAA CODA and ACA probably some others um, you know sobriety is a little fuzzy and there's no like one path and so it is up to people to figure that out I did want to put a plug in for therapists though because you know you want to if you're fortunate enough to be able to to attend therapy um, then having a therapist weigh in on that I think can be helpful because we see it differently or we see we see probably a bigger picture than um what may only be in in a a 12-step program so having i think both work together is optimal when that's possible oftentimes i've seen a lot of um sobriety plans uh might be pretty lenient if if the addict has a lot of leeway there. So I just, I think that, you know, sponsors need to be tough and therapists need to be tough. And I don't, you know, if, if then that doesn't matter to me if they do have a therapist or not, honestly, as long as the sponsor is tough. Um, Cause I just see that cause problems for people. So that would really be the one thing I would add 
to everything that you would you said earlier that when people are um, creating this plan, you know, it's really easy to trick ourselves in early recovery of, yeah, no, you know, masturbation wasn't really that important for me. And I think I can leave that in there. And, and that could be the thing that keeps someone stuck and really not entering into a true recovery. So, you know, just have, I think it's good in early recovery, especially to have tough people around you who are going to really ask the hard questions and say, no, no. I don't agree. Think. Let's talk about this some more. Yeah, um, and I will say that uh, my my sobriety guidelines were probably not as strict or as tough as they should have been in the beginning, but they they have evolved. Yeah, and I think that uh, as they uh, as they evolve or as my recovery evolved, it also evolved. Absolutely, um, yeah. And not from a sense of actually removing items. It's more from evolving in the sense of adding yeah. items to the list. Um, I'm thinking, man, I really need to add that. Yeah. Um, so in my own personal journey, I uh, definitely discovered that I could attain periods of sobriety without actual recovery. And uh, when I entered the program uh, in 2016, uh, I was scared to death. Yeah. Uh, so fear was a very big motivator for, um, for my initial sobriety. And that, that actually occurred twice. Uh, my first big rock bottom was uh, in December of 2014. And I put together fear, fear-based sobriety, put together at least nine months, more than probably more than that. It's a really hard nine months. Yeah. Um, you're probably white knuckling oh, and, yeah. and just struggling. Yeah, definitely white knuckling the entire way. Uh, ended up doing that twice. Yeah. Uh, I ended up basically the, the first rock bottom really wasn't the rock bottom. I kind of call it the Wiley coyote effect. It's like, I thought I hit the bottom and then the ledge broke again. Yeah. Um, but it was that second one that, re- that put me into a recovery program. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for the, what happened as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, not so happy for the bottom, but yeah. but definitely happy that it, it was the thing that brought me to recovery in the first place. But that sobriety was also fear-driven and lasted about six months. Mm-hmm. And at that point, there really wasn't the recovery behind the sobriety. So there was certainly periods of time at that point where uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it full on relapse because I was not engaging in some of the really dangerous behaviors that I was doing in the past, but it definitely was not sobriety as I would define it today, and really wasn't sobriety it wasn't sobriety as it was defined back then either. Right, right. Um, and uh, but it was you know it it, it was good to have that well defined sobriety. Um, target and you know be honest with myself that I wasn't making I wasn't hitting it Um, yeah but when you well first of all it takes what it takes um, for people to to finally be ready and it and it usually doesn't doesn't take the first time and and so we know that so there's there's no no shame there for sure Um, but the reality is is that um, even though you were sort of suffering and white knuckling it and you weren't really in 
a true recovery at either of those two points in times, um, there was still a ton of progress happening in your brain. Um, you know, that that's sort of what, what propelled you into finally being ready um, if, if you'd been acting out the whole time and didn't have any of those long spurts of, of even white knuckling sobriety, you know, who knows how long it could have dragged out. And, and also, you know, I want to say, um, from my perspective, fear is not a bad thing um, for most people that I work with at, at the beginning of recovery. What I normally see is, you know, people get sort of, quote, you know, strong-armed into, especially sex addiction, well, any addiction, but we're just talking about sex addiction really today, but people get strong-armed into sobriety and recovery from a partner or family member. And then, you know, that actually helps um, for people to sort of stay in it. Eventually, after like, I don't know how long it is, it depends on how much work they're doing in therapy, how much step work they're doing, um, eventually it starts taking root in that person. And at first they might've started, you know, so that they don't lose their job or so they don't lose their partner and their family. But eventually after, you know, several months, people, people turn the corner and they're, and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. I feel better. Boy, it's really nice not being scared and paranoid all the time and hurting people and and having people cry all the time when they're with me and you know i'm feeling better and i i'm gonna start doing this for me so the shift eventually happens and you know it's not ideal that that people have to be threatened and scared to get into recovery but i've never had an addict walk in my door yet that says hi i you know i really I really want to stop masturbating and I really want to stop going to strip clubs. Can you help me? I mean, usually people are like, they're scared. And, you know, addicts want to keep doing their addiction. That's the nature of addiction. And so, you know, unless we have a serious choice to make and we're going to lose something that's important, um, usually it does take other people kind of getting us there. That's what interventions are for also. So I just kind of wanted to say that that you know there's there's a lot of a lot of ways that people enter recovery it might look harsh um to some out there but you know it at the end of the day it doesn't matter if it saves someone's life and if it same saves a family and saves them from not being unemployed homeless whatever so um yeah that's my two cents on that yeah no i would absolutely agree with that that i would not have entered recovery without two bottoms Uh, i'd had some bottoms before uh but they were i would say kind of false and you know i was uh, able to patch the bottom up without actually fixing or working on the real root cause namely me uh and it's like once uh and of course you know the addiction progressed as a result of it uh it's like oh kind of kind of like well got away with that one or yeah um wow, that was close or, you know, that sort of thing. And until I got something, was faced with a situation that there was, it was undeniable and the, the consequences were very serious and uh, immovable. Yeah. It's not, it was not a situation that I could talk my way out of, work my way out of or manipulate my way out of it's like that was just not going to happen in this yeah. in this case so there yeah. was only there really only was one choice left yeah uh so 
you know, I'm grateful for being put into that position, but you know, it's uh, it is yeah, it's a difficult thing. Yeah, it is, and so you know, back to our our question at the beginning. So sobriety really, you know, rich uh, Rob, like you were saying before, um, is is the difference between like counting days and and specific measurable things and then recovery is more of that you know deep emotional work that we can actually feel the benefit from and those around us can feel the benefit from yeah i agree with that it's like i also had to find enough sobriety to start working and being able to dig uh the um all of the acting out behaviors were all a coping mechanism and uh, that had long since outlived its usefulness. Um, but that's what I knew. Uh, and recovery was very much about learning something different. Yeah. Uh, it's very much about discovering what, what in the past is preventing me from succeeding in the present and uh, working through those either through program work or through therapy work uh, to be able to deal with those issues of the past um, and honestly deal with issues in the present as yeah. well yeah. as they come up. And the, the real difference is recovery is very long-term, takes a long time to get there. Um, certainly, I feel like it's taken a long time to get there. But I've also recognized that the amount of time that I have been in recovery versus the amount of time that I was acting out still doesn't, they're not close to being one-to-one at this point. So it took me a long time to get here. It will take me a lot, it'll take me at least that long, I expect, in recovery to feel completely comfortable in recovery. Uh, it's like I have about 19 months now of sobriety. And I feel like my recovery is good because I don't look at life the same way anymore. And more importantly, I don't look at myself the same way anymore. And for me, that certainly, that happened around um, sort of towards the middle of the steps. So six, seven, most likely. Yeah. Uh, It's like after having done some of the real uh, deep digging in terms of my past and the fears and the hurts and the sexual harms that I caused uh, and being able to communicate all of those, be honest with myself about all of those, uh, take ownership of the the past uh, and let go of the stuff that I didn't own on being able to tell the difference and then actually starting to move forward from there. So I would say that for me, the real the real recovery really started around six and seven. Yeah, and I so and and as a, a therapist, I would say it's less about this. Like I don't even know that's I don't know about the steps being a place that I would for me that I would think about it that way. For me, it's more about um, you know what is what is it really looking like for each person and, and how they are living, how they are feeling is really how I, I think about it. And some people, 
you know, they, they do a lot of the steps and, or maybe they go through the steps fully and, and the, and really they're not feeling a lot, you know, very different. They might not be treating people very differently. I mean, I, I want to say, um, you know, for you, I think it's great that you've been able to, to, to really notice when you felt a change, but anybody who's listening out there, I would say, just know that that's, that's very individual. I can think of lots of clients. I can think of lots of fellow travelers that I've worked with that have done the steps numerous times. And it's, it's really, it's really when something clicks and that may not, ha- might not, may not correlate um, with step work. And, and I, but I wanted to ask you a, a different question, Rob, of like, how do you actually feel now, as opposed to say two years ago, like feelings, what's your emotional status now? Um, certainly a lot more serene and calm, mm-hmm. uh, less likely to react, uh, to re- react immediately to emotions that come, uh, get an opportunity to process them a little bit more, recognizing that not everything that I'm feeling requires immediate reaction or action uh, and doing a little bit better job of, of deciding or figuring out when action is really required because uh, I think there are certainly periods of time where um, I didn't act when I really needed to. Mm. Uh, but that, I would say those, those, those cases were probably more rare mm-hmm. than me acting when I just felt something and that acting was, you know, that acting was to isolate, to escape. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like the, all of those, um, to medicate, uh, I don't feel those needs to isolate and medicate nearly as frequently anymore. Uh, I do still have periods of time where something intense comes mm-hmm. and the, the, feelings are still there it's almost like someone pours ice water over me yeah and it's like i recognize that uh i do i can do a better job now also um being able to um equate a feeling an emotional state or emotional feeling Mm -hmm. to a physical state um you know it's like do i feel it in my throat do i feel it in my stomach do i feel it tight do i feel you know is there something and um, when it's like I start feeling that physical feeling, you know, it's like if I'm not clued into an emotional state, it's like, well, wait a minute. It's like, okay, stomach's going here yeah. or I'm feeling something's happening. Something's happening. Yeah. I need to figure out what it is because um, it's like uh, I'm doing a much better job of being able to figure yeah. out what that emotional state Good. is. And then, then going to the next step in terms of processing it, going, all right. Is this actually happening? Right. Um, is this me applying a filter of the past over top of something? So is this touching something that, that right. happened in my past that's causing this reaction right. to occur? Uh, or, or is it real? Right. Um, or is and, it a mix of both? Or, right. Or is yeah. it a mix of both? Yeah. Um, and, um, and recognizing that... Uh, you know, then I can start thinking about, okay, what is the appropriate action here? Is the appropriate action to not do anything and wait for a little bit? 
is the appropriate action to say, no, it's like, I'm not willing to put up with that. Or I'm not willing. This is, this has hit a boundary. Yeah. And, or is it, I need space. Right. Um, You're describing something. Well, two things I want to comment on. No, first, you know, I do that in a, in a perspective of, of schema therapy and original grief. And I know we've talked about that as, you know, the original grief piece is, is really powerful and deep to know how much of that is really um, being being connected to in the present day for these big feelings um, to be happening. And, and we also use schemas to kind of get there, which is really helpful. But, you know, one thing you were just describing is, I think, exactly what longer term recovery looks like. It's less reactivity and it's more of feeling the big feeling and then going, oh, you know, I'm just going to wait and do nothing. Just take some breaths. I'll figure out if I need to respond at all or I'll, you know, I'll take a little bit of space and figure out what I need to do, if anything. But that's a huge marker for me, especially working in a a coupleship is when someone is no longer um, reacting into every little thing that happens in, in a coupleship. And then also the other thing that I think is very much early recovery is, you know, addicts will have feelings and like, you know, somehow just believe, well, I've got to tell everybody my feelings. And like, you know, this is what I'm feeling. And it's because you did this and did it. It's like, no, that's the stuff you're supposed to be dealing with, with your sponsor, your fellow travelers, your therapist on your own and, and not go and like vomit that, you know, out into other people's laps. And that's a, that's a really early recovery kind of thing. And, um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to say about, um, recovery versus sobriety is, you know, we talked about um, just being sober, which is really just abstaining from the chemical or the behavior. And a lot of times when people are just sober and they're not replacing the, the addiction with something healthy, like healthy relationship connection or recovery work, recovery connection, people become what we call being a dry drunk, which is an extremely grumpy, angry, not fun to be around addict who is sober. And that that's any addiction. You have anything to add about that? Oh yeah, I can certainly, I can certainly <laughs> relate to that. Um, and yeah, I can certainly, I can relate that pretty much the, the emotion that at one point that I was giving off every time for just about everything was either irritability yeah. or just downright anger. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until it really wasn't until I did some of the deeper dive into my past and other things that uh, I really started to recognize how much anger there really was. Yeah. And there was a lot. Yeah. Uh, it was all over the place. Yeah. And, um, it doesn't mean that there aren't situations that warrant mm-hmm. anger, uh, but it's like I definitely would have to wonder if all of those situations yeah. really warranted that level of anger, yeah. and probably not. Uh, and you know, my general, uh, my general behavior model or method for anger was to internalize all of it. Right. Mm. It's like uh, like self-blame also kind of, uh, but also feeling like, well, I don't I don't feel like I have a right to be angry or don't feel like I should be angry. Oh, OK. And then just sort of keeping it all inside until it like 
blue until it kind of gotcha until but I couldn't you weren't con- worthy right yeah. until I couldn't contain yeah. the anger anymore and then it all kind of came out all at once yeah. as opposed to you know being honest with someone that you know maybe doing something that you know is not what I will you know I wouldn't say not what I would want them to do but doing something that uh, genuinely irritates me or makes me angry to be honest about that say you know that that's just not right yeah, and um, and then you know what, and I know we do this in therapy, but um, I encourage people to take this to their twelve steps. Anger, I would say nine point nine times out of ten, is really just the knee jerk reaction, because that's what we are all taught to feel. Anger, I don't know why, but it's just it's the common emotion that we're taught when we're really young. It's what's modeled for us, and anger is the surface emotion. Underneath it is usually pain or hurt. And then underneath that is really the grief. So it all it all goes back into the grief, um, I believe. And I believe anger is also part of original grief. And because um, if we're getting down into the pain, that's that's the grief piece of it. So I encourage people to to you know, oh, I'm really angry. I wonder what's really happening mm-hmm. below the surface of anger. There's probably some hurt or pain there. And that's really the recovery work. Yeah. Uh, it's like the recovery work is very much about uh, going beyond those mm-hmm. that first tier yeah. or even the second tier of yeah. emotions and getting further down into and uh, sobriety being sober helps doing helps to do yeah. that um, both in terms of con- allowing me to connect with my emotions better mm-hmm. um, and get a real sense of where I'm at and what I'm feeling because if I'm medicating them, then I don't feel anything. Right. Um, and it's like I've had this conversation with, you know, my, my sponsee uh, last couple of times actually um, that my feelings make me human. The anger, the love, the sadness, the joy, all of it. And it's like that's part of who I am. Uh, none of those need to necessarily dictate my actions or direct my actions. But if I go through life and I turn off sadness and I turn off anger and I turn off fear, I'm no longer human. Well, when we turn off those emotions, we also don't feel the joy and love and happiness. So we turn everything off. We turn everything off. And that's what the addiction basically did. Yep. Yeah. Um, And... When the sobriety started, the emotions came, and yeah. with the, the recovery has to be there too to deal with the to emotions. To deal with them, to catch the emotions, yep. and and so so we know what to do with them. Well, anything else you want to want to cover, Rob, or do you think we've kind of covered it? I think we've covered everything I wanted to say. We're yeah, good. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again for being here, and and I appreciate Rob you being here, and and helping um, sort of tease out a lot of this stuff for people to listen to. And, you know, everybody out there listening, if you have any any topics or ideas that you would like for podcasts, please, I'd love to have your feedback. Please feel free to email me at Sophia at BullCityPsychotherapy.com. And you can just go to our website if, if you want to, um, BullCityPsychotherapy.com, if, and you should be able to find an email to get to me. But I'd love to hear what you'd like us to feature here and um, 
anything that you're interested in learning about, we're happy to talk about if it's something that we know about. So I'm, I'm just really happy that, that you're here today uh, with us. And thanks so much for being here again, Rob. I appreciate you and your, your recovery that is just a wonderful gift to share with others. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, everybody, we will see you next time. Thanks for being here for Sex in the Bull City. Take care. Bye.